thing, and I know I'm part of the reason that we tend to extend the service, um, and so we're going to jump straight in. Last week, we got to look at uh, Paul uh, engaging with the church in Corinth, uh, basically saying, listen, you guys are, you, you, you're taking the leaders that are in the church, and, and you're pitting them up against one another. You're going, well, listen, I follow Paul, I follow Apollo, some are going, I, I follow Cephas, um, and he says, listen, guys, it, it shouldn't matter because uh, they're preaching the same message. It's one gospel. It's exactly the same, and so it shouldn't matter. Yes, preferences are okay, but when you turn those preferences into prejudices, you're inviting division into the church. And so he addresses that. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at something that he addresses uh, that's also still causing division. It's a whole other thing that is causing division. You see, there were people in the church at that time who were calling Paul's apostleship into question. They were questioning the validity of his apostleship. They were asking, with what authority, Paul, do you have to show up here and to tell us what God wants from us? Now, it's interesting how Paul engages over this, how he addresses this matter. You see, if it was you or me, we'd probably come in and go, well, it's because I have the title, uh, I have the title apostle, right? It's the name on the door. Right? Or you come in with your chest out and you're like, listen, I've, I've planted so many churches, so therefore you should listen to me. But he doesn't. He doesn't take that approach. In fact, what he does is what we would call counter-cultural. He reminds everyone the same thing that he's been talking about since the beginning of the letter. He reminds everyone that, listen, hey, I'm just a servant, at the end of the day, I'm just a servant. Yes, I've been given this title, this function, but I'm just a servant. And so we're going to read the first 13 verses together. Uh, and then like I do, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. All right. And so hear these words of our Father. I believe they'll be up on the screen. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers. Now, when you read this word, brothers, here, I also want you to read in sisters. I want you to read the church. He's talking to the church here. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And with that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as lost of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. 
To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come now asking that you would do the great work that only you can do. Would you make yourself plain to us that we want to see you for all that you are. I pray against any distractions here this morning. And even as we look into this passage, I'm asking that you would meet us where we are. And that you would remind us of our desperate need of you. And so it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body. Think through my mind. Speak through my vocal cords those things you have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May they be a sweet fragrance to you. You are our king. You are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place this morning? In God's beautiful, beautiful name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be very Baptist with you this morning. And so I have three points. Uh, and only three points, and then I'm going to get out of your way. Unfortunately, they don't rhyme, so I haven't gone all the way in um, as a Baptist, but, but I have three points. And, and so if I was to title this message, like OG uh, brilliantly said, I, I would title it this way. Say it loud and proud, I'm just a servant. Say it loud and proud, I am just a servant. And, and this is what Paul says to the church in Corinth, and I want you to hear this. If you are a leader in the church, then I want you to hear, whenever I say the word apostle, I want you to insert leader, because he's speaking to the leaders as well in the church, that there's a message here for you, that yes, you, you're not an apostle, that, that those no longer exist, and we can have that conversation afterwards, but you're a leader, and so he's addressing the leaders as well. When they question his apostleship. He says to them, I am just a servant. And so the first point that we're going to look at is that kingdom servanthood requires faithful stewardship. Kingdom servanthood requires faithful stewardship. He starts by saying this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Now, I know last week I said, turn to your neighbor and say servants, but I was reminded that we are not that church. I guess we're still not that church. So, so it's interesting here that, that Paul uses a different Greek word to talk about servants, right? There's many words in the Greek language that talk about servants. Uh, many of us would be familiar with the word doulos. That's one that's common in the New Testament, talking about a, a, a common servant, one who is serving the person who either lives in the house or the kingdom. But, but Paul uses a different word here when talking about servants. When he refers to himself as a servant, he uses the Greek word huperatus. Huperatus. It's intentional. See, the word huperatus literally means an under rower. In the sense, it's someone who sits in a ship. Think of pirates of the Caribbean or the Caribbean. Is it Caribbean or Caribbean? Oh, so now you want to talk back to me. So, so when we do the servants thing, it's like, no, no. But the master of pronunciation, yes, we, we have a word for you. It's like pirates of the Caribbean where, where they, those individuals who sit right at the bottom of the ship. Those individuals that no one sees. 
but are incredibly important for this ship to move. That's the word that he uses here, huperatus. He says that we are just servants of Christ. Now, there's no, there's no honor in this position, right? No one sees you. But we will quickly notice when they stop working. And so he says, this is who I am. He turns to the leaders and he says, this is who you should be. Under rowers. Those who are faithfully serving and not looking for the fame or prestige. There is no glamour in this work. But then he goes on to say that we, he, not only are we servants of Christ, but we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards. A steward is like a manager. It's someone who takes care of the household. Maybe let me explain it this way. How many of you are renters? How many of you are renting the space that you live in? Oh, wow. Rooted's got cash. Um, so you should understand this more than anyone, right? As a renter, you are a steward. You don't own the property that you live in. And as much as you may hate certain things that are, that are in that house or that make up that house, you can't just decide, you know what, I don't like this wall here, and so I'm just going to break it down and then rebuild something. You can't do that. Why? Because you're a steward. You're not an owner. We spoke about this last week when Paul was saying, listen, be careful, be careful, leaders, that you don't create your own foundation, that Christ and Christ alone is the foundation of which we build on top of, that we are just stewards, we're just managers. And so he says it again, that you are just stewards. Now, I know some of you, sometimes there's a lot of stuff in here that you go, I don't like what it says. And so we, we look at it and we go, but if I changed it a little bit, if I, if I made it say this, you run the danger. You run the danger of trying to change God's word and leading people astray. And so Paul says, listen, I, I am just a servant. I am just an underrower, but I'm also just a steward. I'm not bringing you anything that is different from what is found in Scripture. In verse 2, he says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's required that they be found faithful. You see, a steward was the master's deputy in regulating the concerns of the family, providing food for the household, seeing it served out at proper times and seasons, and in proper quantities. He received all the cash, spent what was necessary for the support of the family, and kept exact reports for which he was called at times to give accounts before the master. So Paul is saying, listen, when it comes to the church, that is who I am. That is who I am. I am just a steward. I am just a servant. And I am called to be faithful, faithful to God and then faithful to his word so that I might be faithful to his church. They flow from one another. If you are not faithful to God, you cannot be faithful to his word. And so therefore, you cannot be faithful to the church. You will not give them what they need. And so Paul says, I am just a steward and I just want to be faithful before my father. And so as servants and as stewards, we only answer to God. We answer to God. And so he's saying that to the church as they, as they call his apostleship into repute. He says, listen, I, I answer to God. I, I want to be faithful to Him. 
But notice in verse 3 what he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Now, I know some of you are probably arming yourselves with that passage and going, I knew it, I knew it. You cannot judge me because only God can judge me. Hashtag Tupac. Now, now, look, I love Tupac, but this is not what this passage is talking about. The church, yes, we're called to judge one another. If you hang on for a while, we'll get to that in chapter 6. It's like Paul knew it. He's like, he's like I'm going to say something, and I know they're going to take it and try to twist it, so I'm going to have to talk about it later. So we'll get there in chapter 6. Yes, we're called to judge one another, but, but what Paul here is talking about is like, listen, when it comes to being a servant and a steward, my eyes are fixed on God, the author and perfecter of our faith, and I am faithful to Him. So, so it doesn't really bother me that you guys want to judge me. That's what he's saying. I'm not concerned by what you guys are saying uh, in your circles. Because I'm looking to him, the author and perfecter of my faith. Verse 4, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. What he's saying is like, listen, I, I haven't done anything wrong. I look in the mirror every day. I have the scriptures stare at me and make sure that I am not going against what God has called me to. But at the same time, he's saying, listen, but I, I know that I'm still a sinner, saved by grace, that I am not perfect. This side of heaven, I am not perfect. That I am still being sanctified. I'm still being set apart. But he says, as I stand now and as I write this to you, I, there's nothing in my life that, that I'm looking at and, and trying to wrestle with. I've got men around me who are keeping me accountable and they're saying the same thing. So I'm not really concerned about what you have to say about me. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God that one day, one day all of us will stand before God because we're really good pretenders now. We can hide a lot right now. We can show up to church or show up to your city group Show up to whoever you are accountable to and they ask you how things are going. It's going great. It's fantastic. Praise God. He's so good. But meanwhile, your heart is the furthest thing from Him. Your intentions are not good. Your intentions are to build yourself up, to create a platform for yourself. And so He says there's coming a day there's coming a day. Look, I don't care about what you have to say about me, but I, there's coming a day where God will judge me. I'll stand before him. And everything that's hidden in here, it's not like he can't see it now, but, but, but all of a sudden it'll be like, oh my goodness, I try to hide that from God. He knew it all the time. He knew it all the time. That my intentions were not rooted in the gospel. And so he says to the leaders, be careful. Be careful. Make sure that your intentions are good, that your intentions are seeking to glorify God, the one who is seated on the throne. And so he says, kingdom servanthood requires a faithful steward, one who is faithful to God and faithful to his word and so he, that he might be faithful to the church. But the second thing that Paul tells us is that kingdom servanthood requires a humble ministry. Kingdom servanthood requires a humble ministry. 
Look with me at verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos. So that person that you guys were going, listen, no, I follow Apollos. I'm not really sure about who Paul is, but I follow Apollos. He's like, no, no, no. Both of us, we've come together and we're making sure that we're accountable to one another. So I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you might learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Can I, can I rant here for a moment? Can you give me 90 seconds just to rant a little bit about this? You can run the clock if you don't believe me. 90 seconds. Paul is saying, I, I want to make sure that you know that everything that I say does not go beyond this. Does not go beyond this. There's a reason that here at Rooted Fellowship that we go line by line. Look, there are times where we do themes and they're really cool and they're exciting. But usually we go line by line through this thing. And there's a reason. Let let me share it for myself. I'm one of those guys who I try to be innovative and creative. See, the danger is, the danger is I can become really cute with the Word of God. I can become really cute with the Word of God. Now, are you saying that there's something wrong with trying to contextualize it and trying to make sure that it makes sense for for people? No, 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 we should. But be very careful that you don't go beyond what is written in here. Let me give you a real example. I've recently um, been hearing, not from here, but just from out there, uh, people saying that, listen, when you come to Jesus, uh, when you give your life to Christ, you become a superhero. And I'm like, Wait, what? Look, I love Batman as much as the next. In fact, if, if Batman is not in your top three superheroes, then, then you and I need to chat outside. But I don't see it anywhere in Scripture where it says you become a superhero. Now, now maybe I understand where you're trying to go with this. But the last time I checked, for those who have crossed the line of faith, bullets don't bounce off you. You don't stop trains. And if you drink enough petrol, you will die. You don't become a superhero. You, yes, Jesus' death uh, and, and resurrection, you, you are then justified. This word justified meaning just as if you've never sinned. That is your positional standing, that you are no longer an orphan but a child of God. But that you need to be sanctified as well, that God is still molding and shaping you. That you are not perfect. How do I know this? How do I know that you guys aren't perfect? Because we do a lot of counseling here at Rooted Fellowship. (laughs) That this side of heaven, you are still in desperate need of a Savior. You are not a superhero. It's cute. But it'll lead people astray. Now, you might sit here and go, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Man, in the the townships, they really need some help there. But, But I've heard this in the urban, suburban, us middle class South Africans. Brother, if you sow the seed of 100,000 rand, God will make you rich. Like, where are you getting that from? They are going beyond what is written. Now, you might sit here and go, but it's written that I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you. I'm like, okay, pause. Um, You need to go read the verses that come before that. You need to give some context to that promise. It's a promise that God gives to you, and it's yes in Christ. But but there's some conditions there. And so we'll just grab certain verses and then just kind of run with it and try to be cute and try to be innovative, not realizing that we're going beyond what is written. And so my hope is that 
whether this becomes a home for you or not, that whenever someone stands up here and delivers a message, that you be like the good Bereans that Paul talks about in Acts 17, that you would go home. You would go home and open up the scriptures for yourselves and go, listen, what he was saying, is this in line with what the scriptures are saying? Paul commends the Bereans in Acts 17. He says, listen, those guys are amazing. I love those people. They would hear me preach, but they would go home. They would go home. And this is why we, in our city groups, we go through the sermon. Because I I want you guys to wrestle with the scriptures. I I don't mind if someone comes to me and says, hey, brother, I kind of disagree with what you were saying. That's great because that means you've been wrestling in the scriptures. So Paul says that I have made sure that Apollos and I, the, these two individuals that you guys are, are using to create division, that we are, haven't gone beyond what is written. We haven't gone beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So that you would not be filled with pride. So that you would not be filled with pride. Kingdom servanthood requires a humble ministry. You've got to be humble. That everything that you do for the Lord must be drenched in humility. And so Paul gives us a test. How do I, how do I know? How do I know if I'm entering into pride? He, he gives us three things, three questions that we can ask ourselves. Verse 7, he says, for who sees anything different in you? If there's a difference between us, it is because of what God has done in us. So there's no reason for pride. If you see a difference between you and those who don't know Jesus, it's because of what God has done, not because of what you have done. So don't puff yourself up. Even when you think about church, when you, when you look at maybe your ministry, and you're like, man, this is amazing. It's because God is at work. It's because God is at work. You, you have no saving ability. You're only a vessel, a servant, a steward. And so he says, for who sees anything different in you? But he goes on, what do you have that you did not receive? He's implying here that everything that we have comes from God. So again, there's no reason for pride. Everything that you have comes from God. We spoke about this last week. That great idea that you have right now has been given to you by God. Even if you're not a believer, I want to I push you a little bit and say, that that brain that you have was created by God. That your heart, as it beats, is being sustained by God. doesn't matter how many hours of CrossFit you put in. He's not only the creator of all things, but he's the sustainer of all things. So how? How can I puff myself up? I can only but come to the foot of the cross and be thankful The last thing that he says here to test whether you are entering into pride. He says, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If what you have spiritually is a gift from God, if you're acknowledging that, that all that you have, that the spiritual gifts that you have are a gift from God, then why do you glory in it as if it were by your own accomplishment? There's no reason for this self-glorifying pride. Paul is saying that everything that I have done is because of the one who is seated on the throne. And so he's constantly pointing people back to the Father, back to God. 
Every time they want to make him uh, this famous person, every time they want to build a platform for him, every time they want to uh, maybe get a book deal for him, he's going, no, 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 no. It's the one who is seated on the throne. Now, are book deals bad? No. They're great things. But in that book deal, you must point people back to God. Acknowledge Him. That He is the one that has given me everything that I need to put these words on this paper. There's a quote that I love by an individual called Brennan Manning. And he says this about pride in ministry or those who are trying to puff themselves up in ministry. He says, ambition to be a star in the body of Christ is alluring and seductive. And it is. I'll be honest. This last year and a bit, it's been hard and been challenging as people are kind of looking in and are like, listen, what's going on here? How are you guys able to do this? It's, it's alluring and seductive. But listen to what he says. It is also demonic the glamorous enemy of servanthood and love. It's the enemy of servanthood and love. And so be careful, leaders. Be very careful. But then I love what Paul does here. He, um, he gives us some sarcasm. It's what I call he slaps us and kisses us at the same time. So you're left knowing that you're loved, but going, why does it hurt so much? I love his sarcasm. Look with me in verse 8. He says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. What he's saying is, my, 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 you Corinthians seem to have it all. And isn't it funny that us apostles, we have nothing. You guys have it all. It seems like you've got it all together. In fact, I should probably stop writing this book or this letter right now. But we know that that's not the case. We're going to see the mess that the Corinthians are in. That they don't have it all together. And so there's no reason for them to puff themselves up and to think, listen, we've, we've got this together. See, though Paul is using strong sarcasm, his purpose isn't to make fun of the Corinthians. His purpose is to shake them out of their proud self-willed thinking. See, he was laughing at them with what I call a holy laughter. <laughs> Sounds a little like that. Some of you might have heard of a, a holy anger or a righteous anger. See, I, I think what he's doing here is, is more of a, a holy laughter. But he's doing this and he's disapproving of their lives. See, guys, you can't live like this. If you look to the one who is seated on the throne, if you claim to be a Christian, if you've crossed the line of faith, he says you can't live like this. So he uses sarcasm to, to, to try to draw them out of this of this. Life that is filled with pride. Now, let me say this because I feel like I have to. I believe that this is a gift. This sarcasm, this holy laughter is a gift. And so please don't try to apply it in your relationships. Things will end badly very quickly. And if you're sitting here and you're going, I wonder if I have the gift of, of holy sarcasm. If you're asking that, you don't have it. Okay, so, so don't, don't do it. Don't go beyond what is written. I love how another translation reads this verse. He says, You have begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. 
saying, you guys are starting to live as if Jesus has returned, that you know everything, that you don't need a Savior. He's like, that's great because, man, I would love to reign with you because that means I don't have to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't have to keep going from region to region, suffering for the gospel. I can reign with you because he's returned, but he hasn't. He hasn't, and so stop living as if he has. And so Paul tells us that kingdom servanthood requires faithful stewardship. He tells us that kingdom servanthood requires a humble ministry. The last thing that he tells us is that kingdom servanthood requires willing sacrifice. Kingdom servanthood requires willing sacrifice. Read with me verse 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. So instead of being rich, he says, listen, we have become a spectacle. Instead of having it all, we have become a spectacle. Instead of having these platforms where we get to travel the globe on tours, we have become a spectacle. Now, this spectacle is not what you think. It's definitely not what the Corinthians wanted. This spectacle is one of suffering. It's one of suffering. He says in verse 10, We are fools for Christ's sake, but I guess you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. See, with this contrast, and it's contrast after contrast, Paul is still sarcastically showing how foolish it is for the Corinthians to think that they are more spiritually privileged or blessed, more so than the apostles. He says, no, guys, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. This call to be an apostle, this call to be a leader, requires you to willingly sacrifice. Remember that you're a servant and you're a steward, and so no one sees you. You're right at the bottom of the ship. But it requires those to come and say, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to to, to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And boy, did they suffer. The apostles suffered. Those who followed Jesus suffered. That's why I don't get it. When I hear these messages of, listen, if you come to Christ, then everything is going to be perfect. I'm like, this side of heaven? This side of heaven? I don't think so. Now, will things be a lot better than they were before you were a Christian? Yes, I'll experience joy way, way, way better than I have before. Life will have meaning. I will have purpose because now I am a child of God. But if I want to be faithful to Him, if I want to take this message and share it to the world, expect suffering. Jesus said it Himself. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so Paul says, listen, by no means, by no means, Am I trying to use this title and this function that I've been given to build a name for myself? Because you can't. If you're doing it faithfully, you can't. If you're going to be a leader in the church, you can't. This is true for all of the apostles. Verse 11, he says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted, this means to be assaulted repeatedly, and we are homeless. This is Paul's description of his own ministry. It focuses on on being dispossessed. It focuses on being humiliated. 
But all of this for the sake of the gospel. This was true for all the apostles. I'll, I'll just read a few. Peter was killed in Rome for his faith and service to Jesus. Andrew was crucified. Thomas, remember Thomas, doubting Thomas? It said that he died at the hand of four soldiers who pierced their spears into him. Some say Matthew, the tax collector, was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James was stoned to death. Matthias, who replaced Judas, was burnt to death. Now, how much must that suck? Like, you weren't even part of the original 12. (laughs) Judas doesn't make it, and they're like, hey, brother, do you want to come do this? Now, if it was the way we do things, it'd be like, yes, absolutely. I get to be on the tour. But we're told that he was burned to death. If I was chasing fame, there's no ways, there's no ways, and Paul is saying it, there's no ways that I would do this. Because there is no fame in this. You must be willing to sacrifice. I said it before, these were the things that the Corinthian, the Corinthians didn't want to hear. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to avoid it at all cost. But this isn't just an issue for the Corinthians. This is an issue for us today. That the church is heavy with the same attitude, the same as the Corinthians. That we're concerned about the image of worldly success and power. And many of us have despised Paul and the other apostles because they did not display this image, this image of success and power and fame. That today there's a shortage of faithful men and women who want to display the kingdom of God, the true kingdom of God. That they want to go out there and be faithful to God and faithful to His Word so that they might be faithful to God's people. And that this comes with a cost. It comes with a cost. But the reward, we're told over and over and over again, the reward, the reward is amazing. We saw it last week where Paul says to the church in Corinth that there's a reward waiting for you. That this world is quickly fading. And so if you persevere till the end, if you persevere till the end, there is a reward waiting for you for those who remain faithful. Let's keep reading. Paul says in verse 12, And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Another translation says that last verse this way, that even now we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. And friends, this is true. This is so true that when I look through the scriptures and when I look throughout history, those who have remained faithful, the world looks at you strange and it's just like, well, what, why, do you, why do you do that? Why do you handle your money that way? Why do you handle relationships that way? Why do you want to hang out with people who don't look like you and think like you? Why do you share this message? This is kind of weird. And if you're a leader, you'll get those questions a heck of a lot more. I get asked repeatedly, so, so what do you do during the week? And, and, 
but why do you live there? Why, why shouldn't, shouldn't you live in this area? Because if you're a pastor, then you shouldn't live in this community. You should live in this community. There's, there's all this judgment. And I'm saying to you that you will receive it too. That the world will look at you and you'll be like garbage. But like Jono preached a couple weeks ago, that the, the wisdom... The wisdom that comes from God is different to the wisdom that we understand here in our culture and context. And so it's obvious that people are going to look at you and go, you're going to choose to remain faithful to your spouse? You're going to give away all of your time and talents and treasures for the kingdom. How much are you giving? And if you can quickly respond by saying, well, none of it is mine. None of it belongs to me. That house is not mine. The money that's in the account is not mine. These gifts that I have are not mine. This very life that stands here in front of you is not mine. That all of it belongs to Jesus. I should be willing to sacrifice. I should be willing to suffer for the sake of the kingdom. That if even if one person comes to Christ because I suffered, then it was worth it. And that there will be a day where Jesus will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And the world will look confused. It's like, but, but, but hold on. To, to, according to the standards of the world, like they didn't really make it. And it's like, well, the standards of the kingdom, you've made it. You've made it. And so Paul says, listen, I'm not going to use my title. I'm not going to tell you about all the things that I've done. I'm just going to tell you that I'm a kingdom servant. That requires me to be a faithful steward. It requires me to be a faithful steward. It requires me to have a humble ministry, to practice humility in everything that I do, and then it requires me to suffer willingly suffer well. Now the question is, and as I land the plane, is how, how, how did Paul do this? Like, man, it's tough. Guys, I'll be honest, it's tough. It's tough when, when people are sending you emails and they're like, hey man, can you come speak at this, and, can you speak at this thing? Can you, can you come and help us do this? Can, you, can we come visit your church? Can we come and, and video the stories of what God is up to? How do you, how do you remain a kingdom servant? How did Paul do it with all the churches that he planted, all the success that he had? I mean, the bulk of the New Testament is written by him. How does he remain a kingdom servant? Well, he keeps his eyes fixed on the perfect servant. He keeps his eyes fixed on the one who remained faithful to the Father. He keeps his eyes fixed on the one who remained humble. He keeps his eyes fixed on the one who was willing to suffer. Friends, if you get where I'm going, I don't have to preach any longer. He keeps his eyes on Jesus. Jesus remained faithful to the Father to the point of death. To the point of death. Numerous times he was given the opportunity to go, you know what, bro, you can change everything that you've said. We'll let you go. He says, I'm called to remain faithful to the Father. He was humble. 
humble. We're going to talk about privilege next week, right? At Lakotla. Jesus, who had an ultimate privilege, sitting in heaven, having created everything that we see and experience. Philippians 2 type language, he, he empties himself. He humbles himself and comes down and lives among his own creation. There's no other religion that is like this, where God himself becomes a man. He humbles himself. And then he dies on the cross. I know there were men who were plotting and, uh, and they came up with all these plans to do it, but we're told in Isaiah that, that he willingly came to the cross. So before even those guys had that idea, it was part of the plan that I am going to suffer. I am going to die. I'm going to lay my life down so that you and I might be reconciled back to the Father and then reconciled to one another. So how does Paul do it? He keeps his eyes fixed on the perfect servant. How do you and I do it? Same thing. We keep our eyes fixed on the perfect servant. Not only as one that we can look to as an example, but he's the one that enables us. He gives us the very power that we need to be faithful, to be humble, and to willingly suffer. And so as I close, if you've heard nothing this morning, hear this. That all of our lives, all of our lives, every breath that we have, to keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. And he, he is with us every step of the way that he does not leave us on our own. You might sit here and think to yourself, now I feel so alone. Life is so difficult. Life is so challenging to, to live up to these standards, to just be a Christian. It is so difficult. I want you to know that he is with you every step of the way that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And that he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Let's pray. And so Father, with that very truth, we come now to you and, and ask that you would, you truly would meet us where we are. But at the end of it all, that those who have put their faith and trust in you, those who have crossed the line of faith, all that we have is yours and so help us to live that way help us not to be sucked up by what the world wants for us the success and the relationships all these different things that, that we're being drawn into believing that we will find life in them they will never be enough that only you will be enough for us only you will satisfy us and fulfill us and give us the joy that we need. So even as we sing this song, Father, I ask that we would, we would reflect upon these words. You love us and that you will never leave us. And because you remained faithful, we have the gospel. Because you were humble that you emptied yourself, we have the gospel. And because of the death and the resurrection, because of the cross, we have the gospel. 
and that all of that is freely given to us and all we are to do is receive. So Father, we, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.